This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brendan Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And it is great to say that again, because if you guys uh, missed last week's episode of the Primetime Podcast, Brandon was not here. You also, I could not see your wonderful faces. So if you're on YouTube, hello. It is great to see your faces yet again after not Last week, you were on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or Stitcher. Thank you guys for, obviously, the continued support, downloading, and listening to our podcast. But, big guy, you're back. You you took a week off. You went to Florida. You told me, hey, Ricky, figure it out. And I did. I, I tried my best to figure it out all on my lonesome. But uh, h- how was Florida, big guy? It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Uh, you know, didn't want to come back, but... Uh Reacclimating well, myself. I, I, to things. I saw. I saw that you you almost left us. You gave your gave your resume to uh, the worldwide leader down there. I saw Jimmy Fallon. You were also trying to <laughs> get in line with the Fallon, the Fouster. I was gonna say that's a crappy nickname, but whatever. We're gonna roll with it. I'm <laughs> I'm glad though that you are back and ready to talk about things because we got a jam packed show. I saved a topic for you, Brandon. You did. I saved one yes, for you. you. So did. we're going to start yes, the did. show off with. I was going to talk about this last week. Decided, hey, I'm going to wait until they figure out, they being the SEC, figure out the ruling. But now we can. Malik Zaire officially transferring to the Florida Gators. We're going to talk about what it means for Florida. I mean, we just talked about what it meant for Texas, but it doesn't matter. He ain't going there. So now we got to talk about what it means for the Florida Gators. Then we are going to talk about... We're going to go back to college basketball for a week, talk about Thad Mata. Who should Ohio State get to replace Thad? And then we're going to continue our little 2018 NFL draft conversations this week, Calvin Ridley. And will he be the next Reggie Wayne after comments from NFL scout Bucky Brooks about the subject? So, Brandon, we're going to dive in to our first one, though. The SEC announced last Friday, well after... I recorded, so I was glad that I waited on this one, that they attended to amend their rule for graduate students. This amending of the rule allowed Zaire to not only pick Florida, but be able to play at Florida this upcoming season as transferring in. So with that being said, Malik Zaire said, you know what, I'm going to transfer to Florida. We're recording this on Tuesday. By the time you're hearing this, he would have officially been announced transferring that he's going to Florida and actually have everything set in stone. So I'm going to kick it over to you. Let's start this. What does this mean for the Gators? Well, I want to first start off by saying kind of what has happened Mm -hmm. uh, with Malik Zaire and kind of the the timeline of everything that has happened with Malik Zaire in college. So um, he had four years South Bend, uh, couldn't, could never really get a full control of the starting job because he didn't play as a freshman in 13, couldn't beat out Golson in 14, broke his right ankle after two games, game and a half in 15, and then was beat out by Deshaun Kaiser in 16 and never took hold of a starting role again. Mm -hmm. So that's what we know about Malik Zaire. We don't have a lot of stats on Zaire. We don't have much of anything. And I think that, Some people may say, well, Brandon, you were just talking a couple of weeks ago when you said if he goes to Texas, oh, he could really be, he would be, he would certainly fit the style that Texas is looking for. But does he have enough behind him, Ricky? 
Does he have enough behind him where Florida says, you know what? You beat out Luke Del Rio. Mm -hmm. You beat out all of the other guys that we have on the roster at the quarterback position. And now, does does he know what he's doing? Has he had flashes of brilliance, flashes of huge talent? Yeah, that's why he started out as the starter in 2015. But then, unfortunately, he did get hurt, and that's what ended up happening, is that he never found that starting role again. And it's an interesting, interesting article that I've looked at on Dog Nation by Chip Towers. Mm-hmm. And he can t- he takes a complete opposite view on Malik Zaire going to Florida than most people are. And he's taking the kind of the pessimistic view. And I think it's an interesting one. And I look at it because most people will take the act- optimistic view and will say, oh, he's going to be great. He's, he's going to be awesome. starter. Automatic starter. That's what we keep here. Automatic starter. But what if he's not? What if he's not, and what if he doesn't end up being that guy? Mm -hmm. Then that's another Florida team, as you had mentioned in another (laughs) podcast, that went for a Notre Dame quarterback, and it didn't work out. The other one being Everett Golson at Florida State. Mm -hmm. And now you have Malik Zaire at Florida, and he's a guy who can certainly keep defenses and SEC defenses, which are better defenses, I think, than most of the Power Fives. You could say Big Ten defenses are pretty good, too, because they hold down mm-hmm. um, opposing offenses, and that's why you have a lot of low-scoring games sometimes in the Big Ten. And I think that what he can do is he offers the fact that he's not always going to pass. He can run a little bit as well, and I think if he's fully healthy, he'll be very good. But we don't know. And Florida doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And Johnny doesn't know. And Scotty doesn't know. I like that little Thank Euro you. trip reference. So <laughs> I think that ultimately there will be a competition. Mm-hmm. Luke Del Rio's not, I don't know if he's fully healthy. Neither does Florida. But I don't think they had, obviously, enough confidence in Philippe Franks that he would be able to get it done because they went and they pushed to get Zaire for him to come to Florida. And what's he doing now? He's going to Florida. And let me state this. It should be and it will be an open competition this offseason for the job. I I don't want people to automatically assume, hey, you know what, Zaire's coming in. Franks, who's the freshman, take a back seat. You're not going to start this year. He's going to have the right. Felipe Franks is going to have the right to compete for this job and win this job. The thing that I look at is I'm kind of sitting right on the line when it comes to Malik Zaire and the Florida Gators because in the back of my mind, I think of what you brought up. We talked about this. It was actually the first ever topic that we talked about with the Primetime Podcast way, way back, and I want to say it was May 17th of 2015. We talked about Everett Golson. Is he going to go to Florida State? Is he going to go to Alabama? He eventually picked Florida State. Didn't really do much. Didn't really be the same Everett Golson that we saw at Notre Dame. The only difference here, Malik Zaire never had that success that Golson had at Notre Dame. Golson coming off of a national championship appearance with that Notre Dame Fighting Irish team. So there's that in the back of my head. However, I look at the SEC and I think to myself, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, I'll even throw Jalen Hurts in there to a degree. What do all four of those guys 
have in common. They don't just beat you with their arms. They can beat you with their legs. So I also look at it and go, Malik Zaire has really the perfect tools. And I know what you're saying. Well, Ricky, the the Tim Tebow is, that was a different system. That was the Urban Meyer system. That We're in a different system now. Johnny Manziel, that was Sumlin. You've got Nick Saban over at Alabama. Hertz has all these weapons to work with at Alabama. And Cam Newton was a number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But I look at that and I go, there's got to be a correlation with these guys. And think about it. Tim Tebow, Heisman quarterback, was able to get it done in the SEC with both his arms and his legs. Cam Newton won a national title with Auburn, getting it done with both his arm and his leg. Jalen Hurts goes to the national title, getting it done with more so his arms, but could also beat you with his legs. Not as much as the other three, though. And Johnny Manziel, we know what happened there. He's, I talked about it last week. He's the only really good season that Kevin Sumlin ever had, the Heisman year, another Heisman quarterback. So to me, I look at it and go, hey, if Malik Zaire can get all the all the ducks in a row, all of them lined up, there might be a correlation here that he might be able to get something done against SEC defenses because I look at it and I go, is there a reason why these guys who are dual threat guys have had so much success against SEC defenses? I think that uh, the points that you bring up, I think they're, 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 they're good examples. They're very good examples of what could be. And I think that when you talk about what happened with Everett Golson, it was the fact that Golson came from Notre Dame where he mm-hmm. actually did something to then going to Florida State where he couldn't. And maybe this is the opposite. Plus, he had the shadow of Jameis Winston. He did. He did. I mean, it was a huge shadow. Because Winston was just leaving at that point. But maybe we see the opposite with Malik Zaire. Mm-hmm. Maybe we see a guy in Zaire who only had 98 pass attempts in his time at Notre Dame. He's got to prove himself. Maybe he turns it around and is able to make something of himself at Florida. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the one year he's ha- he has at Florida, maybe he's able to do something. Maybe he gets them to... <laughs> Maybe he gets them to the playoffs. That's a stretch. But but maybe he's able to really make them super competitive throughout the SEC. Maybe he puts Florida on the map, solidifies them as a strong SEC team, and says, you know what, Alabama, you're not going to be the only one in this SEC run this year. And I think that if he can do that, that's a win. But that's going to be asking a lot for a guy who's only completed 98 passes. But you have to also remember, too, that he threw six touchdowns, no interceptions, in his time at Notre Dame as well. So this guy is a guy that has so much to prove, and you would think that he has plenty of years to be able to do it. However, he doesn't. He has just one. And, Ricky, my thing is, Mm -hmm. is this one year going to hurt him? Is this one year going to hurt him? Because if he comes in, he ends up being the starter, theoretical, but if he ends up coming and being the starter, has a bad year, does that hurt him because, you know, he it, it's taking him some time to adjust to the Florida system. It's taking him time to adjust to a new team, new teammates, everything like new coaching staff. And he has nothing left. And then at the same time, does it hurt that if he go, if he go if he goes there and does really, really well, because then people would say he needs more time, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have it. 
Well, and I kind of, I see this as I look at this and I go, hey, you know what? With the whole time thing, Malik Zaire's got to come in and know, I got one year. I ain't got time. Ain't nobody got time for that to learn the playbook. I got to come in. I got to do my due diligence. I don't have all the luxury that, like, Felipe Frank can come in and say, hey, you know what? I can take a little bit of time. Take my time with the playbook because I can use my freshman year as kind of like a learning season. Zaire don't got that. He has to step in, pick up the playbook quickly so that he can be successful in this one year that he has. And that's part of the reason why I was shocked at this decision. I was shocked but wasn't shocked. The part that shocked me was that he chose Florida over Texas. The reason being is Texas would have been a better fit for him. He would have done better things, I would say, in the Tom Herman offense. It would have been easier to pick up that playbook because he would fit so well into that system. However, the hard part there is he'd have to beat out much harder talent in Shane Bouchelle. The part that didn't shock me is he wanted to go play in the SEC. And the SEC is a tough, tough conference, tough division. If you win the SEC, odds are you are going to the college football playoff and are going to have a chance to kind of fight for that national title. So that part did not didn't surprise me, but because he's only got the one year, I think there's going to have to be a sense of urgency with Malik Zaire saying, hey, I got to learn this playbook. I ain't got time to kind of sit there and do this or that. And the one thing that I was kind of looking up that I find interesting is I'm looking at the main opponent is Alabama in the SEC. I think we can all agree with that. Florida last year with Appleby and Del Rio as their main starters still won their division. And odds are Zaire, the goal would be to get them back to that point. And I look at their few last losses. I think I went back all the way to the 2013 season with just Alabama games. The things that I'm noticing about the quarterbacks that have beaten them is last year, the only quarterback that beat them was Deshaun Watson, who... I would say is a dual-threat quarterback, had 43 rushing yards in that national championship game. Then you also have Chad Kelly beat him. Chad Kelly had 21 and a touchdown on eight attempts running in that game. Ohio State, who had Cardell Jones, who had 43 yards on the ground that game. They also had Ezekiel Elliott, who was the best running back in that draft class. The only one is Bo Wallace beat him. He did more through the air. He only had 32 on the ground. And then in 2013, Trevor Knight wasn't really a runner at all when he beat him in the bowl game. He's the exception. And then you had Nick Marshall, who had 99 yards on the ground when they beat Alabama 34-28. to So just going back to 2013, odds are if you have a quarterback that can do it through the air, and is even just competent on the ground, you're going to beat Alabama. And I think that is the reason why Florida, you say, well, they had Franks. Why would they even look to get Zaire? Which quarterback is going to give us the best opportunity to knock off the juggernaut? And I think that that's part of the reason why. You look at it and you go, 
hey, if this if this kid, if this guy can give us some good, doesn't turn the ball over through the air, and can get it done with both his arms and his legs, we could have a chance against Nick Saban and the Tide. So here's something, and I, I will get back to what you mm-hmm. just said in a, in a moment, but here's something. So, um, uh, again, Chip, Chip Towers, who wrote the article on, on Dog Nation, uh, he and said— we're going to put that— in the description for you guys. We, we will, because I think it's, I really do think it's an interesting article to read from the opposite perspective of, of what most people mm-hmm. have thought and said about what Malik Zaire will be able to do at Florida. So I'm taking a lot of the information um, from here, and I think they're good points. And he said that he went up to uh, Notre Dame's campus, South Bend, and he took a look at Zaire and stuff like that. He said not one person had anything bad to say about Zaire. Said mm-hmm. It seemed like a guy who would always... Done everything the right way. Upstanding student, player, teammate, all this stuff. But he said that what he continually was told is that he had his chance and he wasn't going to play. And now going back to what you just mentioned about having this dual threat quarterback against Alabama, this whole thing with Malik Zaire is what really do we know about him? That's the thing. A guy who's He's only, the big unknown. The guy who's only thrown 98 passes mm-hmm. in his collegiate career. A guy who's run a little bit, but you know, not a, a ton, 324 yards rushing in 17 games. A guy who we don't know. That's the thing. Is that Florida, I mean, they know this. They know mm-hmm. they're taking a chance on somebody, but is 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 a guy who you have nothing who you know nothing basically nothing about is that the best one that you think's going to be able to beat Alabama because you think that he's going to be successful in both areas and I, I'm playing a little devil's advocate mm-hmm. in, in this because I don't know none of us know none of us know how Malik Zaire is going to be because the people and I was one of them who thought that he was going to go to Texas no I was going to I was going to say for the Chicago Bears oh, okay. when they when they went and they drafted a quarterback and who was that quarterback Ricky they went ahead and got the Trubisket. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so Mitchell Trubisky, a guy who I thought, oh, he didn't have enough experience. Mm-hmm. He played a whole year, and I didn't think he had enough experience. Malik Zaire was at, was at Notre Dame forever. And hasn't played a full and season. And has nothing. Now, here's the thing I want to say about that is Florida is actually, they're not handcuffed to starting Malik Zaire. They're not. They're not. And, and, and I don't want to make it seem mm. like they are, but you go after a guy mm-hmm. who's only got a year left, the thinking has to be they really want him to eventually be in that role. However, the thinking that I would go with is this offseason, whatever quarterback's going to give you the best chance to win, go with them. And with Florida, they don't. I feel like with Zaire, because of that unknown, because of that he hasn't played a full season— if they decide this offseason that, hey, he's not the guy, we don't want him being the starter, they're not going to get a lot of backlash from their fans. Like, oh, why, why did we bring him in then? Why did we Why did we bring this transfer in if you're not going to play him? Everett Golson was a little bit of a different case because he had that success. He had yeah. that kind of pedigree at Notre Dame. Leagues that year don't have that. However... If he can come in, and the big thing this season for Malik Zaire, the key word for it 
is going to be redemption. Because I like what you said when when you were talking about it and you said, you know what? He went to South Bend. No one could say a bad thing about him. That he did the right thing. He was a great student. The one thing is, and I say this is more against the Notre Dame coaching staff, of he had his chance and he's not going to start. That, to me, says a lot more about the what's going on Notre Dame coaching-wise with Brian Kelly than it does with Malik Zaire. And Malik Zaire probably messed up once. And Brian Kelly most likely said, that's it, you're done, you're not going to start. And if that's the case, Zaire needs to come into this year saying, I've learned from my mistakes, I'm going to do everything I can to win this job, learn this playbook, and win games here at Florida. Because like we said, he's only got one year. He only has one year to flip the script and do good things. So for Florida, it is, I look at it, low risk, high reward. If you sit him, there's no risk. If you start him and he does well, there's some high reward. Yeah, High reward with that. But there's virtually no risk to playing him and he does bad and starting or sitting him and he doesn't play. There's no risk there. But if you play him and he wins games and he makes you successful, there's your high reward. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that you're right. I think you're right on with that, especially with this being his final year. He doesn't mm-hmm. have any left mm-hmm. um, after this. This is it. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's, 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 it is a smart move by Florida, and I think that you are absolutely correct in, in what you are and what you're saying. And the thing that I will that will be the most interesting this year to me with Florida is if he does start, what kind of happens this year? Because their division, I think they'll win. I With Zaire out there, if he plays well, I think it'll be them and Georgia between those two teams for the division. And then I would really want to see a Florida-Alabama SEC title game to see if he can redeem himself against Alabama. But before we move on and go to college basketball, is there anything with Malik Zaire in Florida that you think we didn't hit? You think we have to touch before we move on? I think we are good. Well, and this is where I point on the question to you guys, or turn the question on to you guys to respond in the comment section. Continue the conversation down below in the comment section. Let us know what you think of Malik Zaire transferring for Florida. What does this mean for the Florida Gators? And what do you think will happen with the Gators and Zaire this season? Well, Brandon, we are going to move on into something that we don't do very much this time of year unless there's a big story. We're moving back into college basketball for a little bit before we go back into football. And there was a story that came out this week where it was Thad Mata no longer will be the men's basketball coach at the Ohio State University athletic director Gene Smith saying this about the situation, and I quote, I felt comfortable after the season when I sat down with Thad that we had a plan, but recruiting is a major part of it, and we weren't winning the recruiting battles. As we started talking about it Friday, the flow of the conversation took me to the realization, as I said to him, this might be the time we make a leadership change, and we, and he agreed, end quote. My thing to that and I am sorry if you are sensitive ears, but fuck that shit. That is not like that is the biggest piece of horse shit that I've ever heard. 
that I have ever heard. And this situation, we are going to get into who they're going to look for. But before we get into that, I just kind of have to vent a bit. And I'm not even an Ohio State Buckeye fan. I am an Illinois Fighting Illini fan. I kind of hate the Ohio State Buckeyes because really in 2004, 2005, we would have had a perfect season, perfect regular season because, you know, the Tar Heels still beat us, but we would have had a perfect regular season if it wasn't for you guys. So really, I should hate you. Really, I should not be this angry. But I read this quote, Brandon, and I go, do you have any respect for this man, for this man for this team, for this program, just fire him. If you want him out the door, just fire him. Be a man. However, I look at this and I'm like, that's the coward. That's the cowardly way out. Kind of looking across the table. Hey, hey, Brandon. Um, you know the podcast is going great and all, and we're we're just not winning in the ratings like we want to. I think it's time we. That would be. You'd look at me and go, Ricky. Fuck you. You would look at me and say that if I said that to you. So I look at this and I like my vent is now over, but I just think that this is the worst thing that the AD Gene Smith could do. And this is not a mutual agreement. This is Thad, Ma- Thad Mata being fired by Ohio State. You feel better? I do. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> just got it got off my chest. I just, I don't, I think that, I think that a coach that's been there for 13 years and has a, what, 73% winning percentage overall and a 65% winning percentage in the conference deserves a little bit more respect than what was showed to him. So let's take a real quick look at um, a little bit of the, uh, coaching record for Thad Mata, and this goes back f- to 2013. 2013 mm-hmm. till till now. 25 and 10, 24 and 11, 21 and 14 in this past season, which was not a strong one. Mm-hmm. 17 and 15. Before that, seasons of 29 and 8, 31 and 8, 34 and 3, 34 and 3, 35 and 4. 29-8. I mean, we're talking good mm-hmm. seasons. So, a guy who's been a staple there for a very long time, a guy who's been successful his entire career, wherever he's gone, Butler, Xavier, Ohio State, he's been successful. And I think it's odd, and I, I you know, you can't say that, you know, getting rid of him is like getting rid of you know, a Nick Saban, because mm-hmm. it's not. But at the same time, could you compare it to a guy who's been there for this long? Okay, so let's say, and again, my comparison may be wrong. I may be picking a wrong guy, but I'll stay in the same conference. Okay. Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo has a couple of bad years, bad seasons. Then do you decide, okay, you're going to go and make a leadership change, Tom Izzo? gone unless tom izzo wants to leave you don't get rid of tom izzo that's just what i'm saying and maybe thad mata is not there and he's probably not mm-hmm. so probably bad comparison but i really tried i don't i, think, I, think, I don't I, think it's that bad of a comparison but but i still think though for a guy who had as much success as he had and then for the 
I almost said the general manager. Mm-hmm. I'm forgetting that we're talking college. The for AD. the AD to then come out and kind of make it seem like the AD, everything's fine after the season. They're all on the same page. And then for the athletic director, basically, to make it seem like that Mata is the one who's mm-hmm. in the wrong, not on the same page and everything like that. It's very important. Very important at any press conference, any time you're being quoted for anything. Choose your word. Well, really, any time. Even if you're not being quoted, choose your words wisely. And the way that he chose his words there made it seem like he was on his own page. And he didn't and Thad think. Mata didn't think that he was on that he, he did not think that Thad Mata was on the same page as him. And I think that at the end of end at the end of the day, it may have gone, and we're not quite sure, where Thad Mata said, you know what, I don't I don't think that I'm gonna be able to do this anymore if we're going to go in this direction clearly the guy knows what he's doing mm-hmm. clearly he knows what he's doing and you know what do you have every once in a while have a down season even the good teams even the good coaches yes they do but the good ones bounce back and i i think that it's interesting that mod is not being given the opportunity to bounce back now the thing that i want to say is they're i'm not when I came out with my rant, I'm not saying that the choice to fire Thad Mata, the choice is not what's wrong. It's what you were saying. It's how this went about. If you were going to fire Thad Mata, you should have done it two months ago. Two months ago when you could have found a quality candidate. Now all the candidates that were out there have found jobs for this next season it's not fair to your program. It's not fair to your players who have already decided to commit here. It's not fair to Thad Mata and A, his assistants. Now, if I'm an assistant at Ohio State, I'm thinking, shoot, am I going to have a job next year? Am I going to have a job? Or is someone else going to come in and kind of tell me that you have been relieved? And I just think the kind of how... How Gene Smith has orchestrated this is in poor taste and isn't the right move to go with. And with your the analogy that you used or the comparison with Tom Izzo, I'm not completely against it. The only big difference is Tom Izzo has made the NCAA tournament since 97, 98. Like with Thad Mata, the reason why... Ohio State was even mulling this is because, A, like you said, the recruiting hasn't been there. Fine. Case in point. You could also go back and say, for the last two years, we haven't been in the NCAA tournament. We were in the NIT in 2016, made it to the second round. This past year in 2017, we didn't even make it to the NIT or even the NCAA tournament. So you've been out of the tournament for two years. You haven't gotten... I would say those players, as you look back, the Greg Odins, the D'Angelo Russells, the guys that are going high in the draft either. That also comes in with recruiting. If they're not coming in recruiting, you're not going to get them to go to the NBA draft. I said NFL draft earlier. Pardon me, NBA draft. And these are all valid reasons. I just think how everything went down isn't fair to Thad Mata. There's also... The health concern also, and in his exiting press conference, he did mention how the things that he had to go through, how 
he even mentioned how there was after games he would need help actually getting his pants off after the games. That's how much like pain he was in from his back surgeries and all these compounded together. You can put them together and say the reasons are there. It's just how this all went down is not fair to Thad Mata. But now we switch the question over to the big ultimate one and it's who are they going to get? And the first guy who came to my mind was, I'm like, John Gross. John Gross could be a guy that could step in and be a smooth transition because he was an assistant under Thad Mata at Ohio State. You can come in, you can get, you wouldn't lose, you could save recruits maybe because it's that same kind of system as Thad Mata. However, I look, John Gross, now the head coach of the Akron Zips, unless he's going to back out of that contract, you're kind of, up shit's creek without a paddle. But the one thing I want to start with, Brandon, is we I sent out a tweet via the MVP account when we were coming up with this story on Twitter. And I asked Ohio State fans, I said, let us know who you think should take over the OSU basketball job and we'd feature some replies on the Primetime Podcast. And one reply we got was from at arm9100, AMO, and he said... Could you imagine how mad Florida fans would be if Ohio State got Billy Donovan? I would love it. We'd have both their natty winning coaches, referring to also Urban Meyer, who's in football. And I thought about it, and I went, okay, Billy Donovan, now in the NBA with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Really, that's kind of a sticky situation with Kevin Durant left. Now with Russell Westbrook, are people people like players going to want to come to play with Russell Westbrook? I'll ask you this from Amos tweet: What would you say the odds are that Ohio State would be able to court Billy Donovan away from the NBA to become the coach of the Buckeyes? You know, I I think that that would probably be tough. I I think that it would be a, a tough. Uh, move to be able to try and get him uh, you know he's 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 in the NBA and and I have not I mean I personally don't follow the NBA as closely as you <laughs> probably do because you are on a podcast about it um, but I haven't heard anything about Billy Donovan like at all in a long time I mean they'd and, be and, interested and, but... and but I mean you know there's a lot of guys who would be interested, mm-hmm. but is it that they're going to come? I mean, why would he leave the NBA in an NBA salary? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially he, he has Westbrook. If Westbrook left, yeah, I could see him leaving. Yeah. But I don't think that he would do that. So I just don't think the likelihood is strong. I don't think there's a strong likelihood that that happens. If it did happen, he's right. It'd be hilarious. But I don't think that it's going to. Um, I, I think that that would be a very far out reaching for the stars mm-hmm. uh, type move. But hey, Ohio State it is such a very pristine and prestigious school. I think that, um, you know, for the right person, it, it probably wouldn't take much. I, I mean, salary wise. At this point, mm-hmm. they'd have to be offering a pretty good salary to come at this point in the seat. There is season going on, but at this point in the offseason, I think that they're in a sticky situation. Ohio State is. 
Um, but one guy who came to my mind, Tom Crean. And he doesn't have a job yet. He doesn't have a job yet. He's coached in the Big Ten. Knows the he was with Indiana. He got them to he took Indiana out of the slums and brought them to, you know, sweet sixteens, but never farther. And I think that um Tom Crean, though, could be an interesting one um because of the fact that he has no job. He's been in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. He has found success, probably not in as much as you know Ohio State would like, but at right right now their options are very limited. I think of guys who would actually come. I mean, they could say, "Hey, I want to go for mm-hmm. you know so and so who's got the best job anywhere else." But are they going to come? No. Are they set in their job already? Yeah. That's that's the thing. Is there, there's a lot of guys. Let's be honest. Let's go through a list of a couple of people right here. Chris Holtman, Butler. I was going to bring him signed up. Signed already, uh, though. Here's the thing, but, though. But, 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 but hold on. Let, let me okay. go with what I'm so going So we got through. Holtman. So you got Holtman. You've got Chris Mack from Xavier. You've got Bob Huggins from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. You've got these guys. But I'm going to let you say what you're going to say. I know mm-hmm. what you're going to say is that they're already – Kind of set. They're moving along. They're getting ready for the season to kind of get started and for for you know all of that to get into swing. As before, not too long. They're going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. It's a really really bad time to be looking for a head coach. And like I said, right now Ohio State is kind of up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Like they did this to themselves. This should have been done two months ago. Then we would have been able to. We would have been able to find somebody. The Ohio State would have been able to find somebody to fill that job. Realistically, I think there are three candidates that they look at. And the thing with Billy Donovan is I don't think he leaves Oklahoma City. Give it one more year with the whole Westbrook experiment and things might change. I mean, this was his second year with the Thunder. Goes to the conference finals with Durant and Westbrook. The Warriors beat them after being after the Thunder were up 3-1. Billy Donovan was one win away from going to the NBA Finals in his first season as a coach. That, to me, if I'm Billy Donovan— Steve Kerr. He knows how that, how that if, is, right? If, if I'm Billy Donovan, I'm looking at it going, I know I can get to the Finals. I was almost there. I was one win away with two superstars. So— Really, I know that my coaching, Two. and that's the thing, Durant left, and look at that, first round, and they're done. Let's see what happens in Oklahoma um, City. The three coaches, one is a non-realistic option, but he will be the number one on their list and say no. The next two, I think, are going to be the two and three with Tom Crean kind of sliding in there at one. Tom Crean's the obvious option because, like you said, he doesn't have a job. Doesn't have anything else to do. The only thing with Tom Crean, I wonder if they look at him and go, "Well, we just fired a guy because he couldn't make the tournament." Tom Crean didn't make the tournament with Indiana. However, it was only one year. He'd been to the tournament two times before with let me, them. Let me, but it's only been there four times overall with the Hoosiers. Let me jump in really quick with mm-hmm. Tom Crean though. Too is the fact that he had good recruiting classes. And if, Farrell, and, if the, and if the problem with Ohio State basketball mm-hmm. was recruiting, maybe Crean mm-hmm. and the athletic director 
maybe there's a marriage there that could happen. Maybe. Indiana this year alone is going to have at least two players drafted in the NBA with OG Ananubi and Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant was going to come out last year, came back to Indiana. Those are two players alone, plus Victor Oladipo in the NBA right now, Yogi Ferrell in the NBA right now. So that is the positive side to Tom Crean. The other three, the guy I think they go after seriously, but he ultimately says no, is Greg Marshall. I think they try to sway him away from Wichita State. I think he says no because Wichita State just moved to the ACC or the AAC. AA, yeah. They're making moves to a better conference than the what the Missouri Valley or the Ohio Valley, whatever Valley Conference they were in, they're moving up in the world. So why would Greg Marshall leave Wichita State after they had just moved to the AAC? I almost said ACC again. The AAC. He's the one I think they go after hard. He says no, swats them away. Holtman and Mack, though, are interesting because both of those coaches— have what you would want to entice one of those coaches. They're having success at a lower-level school, and you're giving them the option to take that one step up on the ladder and move up into a Power 5, just like just like Thad Mata did. He was at Butler, he was at Xavier, moved up into that next level. How many coaches do we see move up to that next level? The only thing that I think will play against them and why both of those coaches will say no is because of where we are in the offseason. If this was two months ago, maybe Holtman or Mac entertain the idea. But because we are sitting here in June with the ball rolling already and, you know, offseason's kind of going and you're putting together that recruiting class and you're kind of getting things ready for your off-season practices, I think both of those would say, you know what, I've kind of thought about it. I'm going to have to respectfully decline. And then ultimately Ohio State's going to go, well, I guess Tom Crean's there. They're going to say, I guess, because they're going to look for other options and then settle on Tom Crean, even though I wouldn't say that's really a settling option because I think Tom Crean can bring a lot to this job. So, Mac, the interesting thing that I've read there is that he might be holding out for a different job, Mm -hmm. Louisville, Mm -hmm. when it possibly comes open, Mm -hmm. because it will come open. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's that's kind of interesting there. And I think the the thing with Holtman, for me, that I can't get past, which I should be able to get past, um, because it's Ohio State, is that he just signed that big extension. And I guess I look at it as, you know, he seems like a guy... Butler, when you talk about Butler, when you talk about what he's been able to do there and stuff like that, he seems excited. I mean, he seems happy to be there. But we have seen coaches yes, before we have. take extensions yes, and we then have. back out. We certainly have, especially, but especially, too. What, I mean, Butler in Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of where it is. <laughs> I mean, even look at, we saw this past offseason was the head coach from Winthrop takes the job at UMass after he, right before they were going to announce him, he goes, yeah, I'm going to kind of have to back out of this. I'm going back to Winthrop. And then he went back to Winthrop. So we've even seen that. We've seen it. I mean, we've seen it before. It's, you know, it's it's happened before. It I will happen again. I wouldn't count out anything. But like, it's anything interesting. is possible. But there are things like Greg Marshall, Billy Donovan, where I'm like, nope, nope, not going to happen. Well, you know, at this point, Ohio State, 
they've got to have a coach. Mm-hmm. They've got to have a coach. They've got to mm-hmm. have someone to be talking to their players, to be getting them ready, to be getting everything ready, developing a staff, all this stuff. I just don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were thinking about the timing on this. I don't know what they were thinking about, oh, this this will be a good idea. We'll be able to find somebody. But you don't want to find somebody. Ohio State basketball hasn't thrived on having just somebody. Mm-hmm. They've thrived on having somebody who's successful, who's good, who comes with a good track record. And I'm not saying that these guys don't, but two of them have jobs. One of them doesn't. But at the same time, is he the number one that you want? Ohio State's not going to get the number one that they want because they have screwed themselves over. That's the problem. But you know what? I don't think at the end of the day, if they got Tom Crean, that that'd be bad. I don't. Because I think that Tom Crean was able to do a lot at Indiana. Not enough. Mm-hmm. But who's to say that he doesn't change it with Ohio State? The people going to Ohio State weren't going to Indiana. Ohio State was getting a, a little bit better, I think. Um, certainly for a while. Um, quality talent than Indiana was. Indiana's good, but not Ohio State good. You know what I mean? You know yeah. what I'm saying here? But I, I think that getting Tom Crean, if that's who they got, mm-hmm. would not be a bad move. I think it'd be a good move. And it's about one of the only moves that they can play right now on mm-hmm. a guy who doesn't have a job. I got one more coach I want to throw your way, and this is what we'll end with. This is a wild card, like a throw out there. This is the wildest of the cards. and It's not even that much of a, like, it's not a Billy Donovan level wild card, but it's a wild card okay. I want to throw your way. He's in the NBA right now. Would you, if you're Ohio State, go, you know what? With the kind of situation that I see with the Bulls, do I try to even make the phone call to Fred Hoiberg of let's try to convince him? He would there are so many analysts that say he would do better going back to college. The bull situation is kind of a shit situation right now. Do you, if you're the, if you're Gene Smith, do you even make that phone call to take that chance? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Cause what's he going to tell me? No. The answer I already figured I was going to get. Do you think he'll, he'd say, do you think there's any chance Fred Hoiberg would entertain that option and leave the bulls for Ohio state? Yes. Have you seen the bulls play? I did. That's why I brought it up, Brandon. Yeah. I think, I, 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 <laughs> I know it's an NBA paycheck, but have you seen the bulls? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the same time though, too, is, is that what would be interesting is Hoiberg would certainly be saying, well, how much are you giving me? Are you I'm going to be, mayor I'm, I'm, I'm going to be coming. I'm going to be coming at a time. That's not ideal for anyone mm-hmm. to be coming in and coach. And I think it would be real interesting because he's making an NBA salary right now. He could be making an NBA salary if he goes to Ohio State because mm-hmm. they're going to overpay who for whoever they get because they yeah. need somebody. So why not overpay someone who's going to be really, really good and who's had that track record in college and everything like that? So Hoiberg would be a real interesting one. I, but again, too. If, Ohio if, State's probably sitting there like, why didn't the Bulls just have and fire him? If, why if, didn't they fire if him? If I'm going inside the mind of... And if I'm the athletic director at Ohio State, Mm -hmm. I'm making any call I can. Kind of going into scatter mode or scramble mode right now? Yeah, but you know what the thing is, though, too, is that everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Yeah, because you don't have anybody right now, and that's really the big thing for it. But before we're going to move on into football, before we do that, any last things that you think we didn't hit that we should hit on the Ohio State job? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Well, this is where, again, we turn the conversation on to you guys. Let us know down below 
in the comment section. What do you think of the Thad Meyer firing? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. It was a firing. It wasn't a mutual agreement between anyone. Gene Smith fired Thad Mata. What do you think of the firing down below? And also, Ohio State fans, who do you want to see get this job? And who do you think will be the coach for the Indiana Hoosiers? I think Brandon and I are both in agreement that they're going to end up settling for Tom Crean because he's the one that does not have a job right now. But, Brandy, we got to end the podcast with our last segment. We are doing our it, – it's now become an annual thing. We're doing NFL draft topics, kind of getting getting set up for the season, talking about some guys that we're obviously going to pay attention to this season when it comes to the NFL draft. We've done it for Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, talked about Luke Falk. Last week I had the honor of looking at Arden Key. Could he be the best defensive player in the draft and in this season in college football this upcoming year. Today we're going back to the offensive side of the ball as we usually do. And the reason why is we're going to talk about Calvin Ridley. And because the NFL.com analyst and former NFL scout, Bucky Brooks, has compared Ridley to former NFL great Reggie Wayne, saying based on his size and his playing style that he is like Reggie Wayne. And the exact quote, and I'll read a little bit of it, is Ridley's Ridley's smooth route-running skills and spectacular ball skills make him tough to defend on the perimeter, particularly when he has free access at the line. And last year, his stats were the um, just under 2,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, 30 career games. He also said they're smooth route-runners with speed and quickness, and they have unique stop-start ability that's better than anyone that I've ever been around, end quote. Brandon, you are the Alabama guy. They are one of your teams. One of your teams for college football, that is, Notre Dame being the other one. I'll ask you, what do you think of this comparison? Could Calvin Ridley be the next Reggie Wayne at the next level? See, I think it's an interesting comparison, but I think... When I think of Calvin Ridley, you know who I think of is I think of Julian Edelman. I'll take it. I think of Julian Edelman because you talk about a guy who's really, really good in route running, Mm -hmm. a guy who's really, really good with his ball skills. That, to me, screams Julian Edelman. Now, Edelman's a little smaller in terms of his height. He's 5'11", but 5'10", 5'11", but he's 10 pounds heavier at 198. So I, I really do look at him is being more of a Julian Edelman, a guy who's real quick, who really has some good route running, and I, I, I that's how I would compare him. I, I think that um, Reggie, Reggie Wayne, I guess I just think Reggie Wayne, whoa. I mean, I don't want to make that huge comparison mm-hmm. because it's it's like it's, it's nowhere near someone comparing someone else to Tom Brady. But at the same time, Reggie Wayne was one of the greats at the wide receiver position. Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, those two guys back-to-back on that Colts team when it was Peyton Manning. Oh, my God. Gosh, that was awesome. And then you had Dallas Clark, Dally, as uh, Peyton would call him. I was going to mention Dallas Clark. I mean, there too. It was, that was great. So I don't want to get too far ahead of of oneself saying Calvin Ridley is similar, comparable to Reggie Wayne. I I, I think that uh, it certainly, certainly goes to show what other people are, how other people are viewing Calvin Ridley. He's very good, he's very talented. And I, I think that if you get him and then Jalen 
on a little bit more of a same page, mm-hmm. I think that that air attack for Alabama can be very, very good. But I, I think that when you take a look and you see that he's got 161 catches for over 1,800 yards and 14 touchdowns in his 30-game career, I think that you'd certainly look at Ridley as a guy who certainly, I use certainly way too many times in that sentence, I certainly apologize, but a guy who absolutely will be a good player in the NFL, but I certainly, gosh damn it, I need to stop saying that. I definitely see him as a guy who can who can be like Julian Edelman. I'm going to shut up because if I don't, Brandon I will say. certainly loves certainly. I can't believe I said that that many times. What the hell's wrong with me? Go ahead, Ricky. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a, uh, t- or a, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm going to steal a bit from the Dan Patrick show. We're not doing the stat of the day. We're doing stat of the podcast. And the stat of the podcast that I have for you is in the last two seasons, in his last two seasons, because that's what he's been there, he has accounted for 161 catches at Alabama. That is 28.4% of the total receptions in that span. So over a quarter of the receptions are going to Calvin Ridley. And that is with Jalen Hurts and another, like Jalen Hurts, it's not just him and Hurts. It was him and Hurts last year, and then the year before, I believe it was him and Coker that were there doing that. So he's done it with two quarterbacks. He's going to get that now with Jalen Hurts, a second year. The thing that I loved was when I looked at Todd McShay's way-too-early mock draft, I had a smile on my face because not only is Calvin Ridley a top-five pick, that's not why I had the smile on my face, who did he have Calvin Ridley going to at the fifth overall pick? But my purple people eaters. I looked at that pick and went, please, please. Unless it's like we're getting like a Josh Allen or a Sam Darnold or a Lamar Jackson. Give me Calvin Ridley. Give me a wide receiver that the thing that Calvin Ridley to me is going to be when he gets to the NFL, when he goes to the draft is if you are taking him in the first round, he can be your number one day one. He can step in and conf- I would be confident with him being my number one, even as a rookie. And the reason being is route running is so huge when you get to the NFL. I don't need you to be the type of wide receiver that Odell Beckham is. I don't need you making spectacular catches over your head. If you can run the routes, learn the routes, and be able to be on the field and use your speed and quickness and that stop-start ability to run the routes and get the defense, the defensive backs out of position, I will take that. And the one thing that I wonder with Calvin Ridley is, is he going to be one of those guys that's also drafted by a team where it's like, hey, we don't need you to be the number one. You can be the number two, maybe even put you in the slot, and we can use your route running ability in that way too. That, to me, is the biggest thing I see in Ridley's game, though, route running, and it's going to be huge. I loved your kind of analogy of Julian Edelman, another one that you mentioned, even the Thad Motti. You're like, well, I'm going to make this analogy, but I don't know if it fits. Yeah, the heights are off. Julian Edelman's a lot shorter, but Calvin Ridley... Why is Julian Edelman so successful? Because he is a great route runner. I mean, yeah, he is the best quarterback and the greatest quarterback of all time throwing to him, but he's a great route runner and has perfected that skill 
in the NFL. But I think it's a it's about also not just the route running, but if you look for a guy who you want to ha- move the chains with, which is it's where Al- which is where Alabama looks for mm-hmm. Calvin Ridley. That's where that's where um, the Patriots are always looking for Julian Edelman. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's a third down. Third down and long, third down and short, and Tom Brady's throwing. Who's he looking for? You know who he's looking for. Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman. Because Edelman is the guy to catch it, and boom, he's, he's I won't say he's gone all the time, uh, a lot of time, but he is off. He's got the first down. He's got mm-hmm. about 20 more, too. That's what makes Julian Edelman so special. That's what makes Calvin Ridley so special. And I'll be honest with you. I don't see Ridley as a one. I don't see him as an NFL number one. And the reason being, if for all? nothing else. At all? Not on most teams. Okay. Like I'm going through here trying to look at all these different wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And what I feel like with so many of these wide receivers, they're 6'4". They're 6'5". They're 6'6". So you're saying they're because he's smaller. huge targets. Mm-hmm. He's going to go on it. He's going to be on a team, I feel like, that already has their number one at the 6'5 stature. But they need a solid number two or even a 1B. That's where I see him. Not because he's not good, but because I feel like the NFL is so... And why the wide receiver position, they thrive on height. A quarterback mm-hmm. who can throw it up and his wide receiver goes and gets it. And I think that you take a look at Ridley, his game, what he brings to the table... I'm not saying that every single one of them is going to be one of those bubble screens, but at the same time, I see a guy who's going to go more 10 yards out, come back eight, they throw it to him eight yards, and then he's got a lot of yards after the catch. La yaks. And I think that that's where I see Ridley thriving. That's where I see him thriving. Well, and I'm glad that you say that. And the reason being is I'm looking at my way too early um, mock draft, which right now I'm just finishing up, putting up the um, just kind of descriptions for each player as I have all the picks labeled out. But I am willing to tell you guys these things because I am behind the eight ball when it comes to this way too early mock draft is Todd McShay had him going five to the Vikings. And I'm using the same order that McShay's going to, that McShay did use. My difference is I had four quarterbacks going in the top five. I know that's a bit of a stretch, but there were four teams that I could see needing quarterbacks there. Now, where do I have Calvin Ridley going? After the top five, Denver, no, linebacker. The Colts, no, running back. The Bills, ah, we're going to go with a safety. However, number nine, the New Orleans Saints. They're a team that specifically has what you mentioned. He might not be exactly 6'5", but they already have a guy in Michael Thomas who is 6'3", 212 pounds, can be that number one guy. And then if they draft a Calvin Ridley, he can be maybe the two or the three. Where, I mean, it depends on what Ted Ginn is going to do. I mean, he's a, he's smaller than Calvin Ridley, so I would put Ridley above Ted Ginn Jr. But you could have, you know... Michael Thomas there, then we have Calvin Ridley as the two on the other side, and then Willie Sneed is, boom, right there in the slot. And you got a quarterback like Drew Brees, he'll find you. He will find you, whether third and long, third and short, third and medium, first and this, second and that. 
He will find you. He doesn't even care what your name is. He's going to throw you the ball. I, I agree with you. I think that's a really good um, thought there because New Orleans, they they just got a guy in Ted Ginn, and Ted mm-hmm. Ginn is a guy streaking down the field, but I think that— Unless he drops it. <laughs> when he drops it. Asshole. <laughs> you know, that guy cost me some fantasy wins I, last I told, year. I digress, but I told Mark, the game that still sits in my head is, I want to say it was the Colts and the Panthers— Cam Newton hit him on a wide open, just streak down the middle of the field. Would have caught it. Would have been an easy touchdown. Catch it the five, walk right in, right between his hands. Well, right between his hands. But fu- I digress. It's, it's funny. It's funny. <sighs> uh, well, no, we're going to continue to digress just for a second here because I remember that game and I needed him to drop that. He did. Thank goodness for me on that one. But then the I one that really sti- the one that sticks in my craw is the one that they played in a meaningless Monday mm-hmm. night game against Washington mm-hmm. this past year. I sat in your basement. Uh-huh. We were watching the game. And That's I, right. I, I ended up losing this. by point four points because point Jonathan four Stewart. points. But if if Ted Ginn would have caught one of the balls he dropped, you would have won. I would have won. So screw him. <laughs> but I think back that they, to Ridley. <laughs> they, they've got they've got they've got Ted Ginn now, mm-hmm. a guy who's streaking down the field. You need a guy like Ridley who's. Can he do it? Yeah, he can, but he, I, I still continue to look at him as a guy who you throw it to him at five yards and he'll get you 15. I think that's that's the guy that you've got with Ridley, and he can be so much better than what he is, and he's good. He's really, really good. I I am interested and excited as to what he'll be able to do with an NFL team because it, he has been so good. At Alabama, mm-hmm. and this is a guy who can really make a difference on a team. And whatever team gets him, they're getting a really good talent. Well, and I want to ask you this, because Todd McShay, way too early now, had him as a top five. I got him as a top ten. I want to ask you, the Alabama guy, there's no one in this room between me and you that knows Calvin Ridley more than you. You being the Alabama fan more so than I am. I want you to give me the odds. First, give me the odds that when we get to the 2018 draft, that Calvin Ridley is a top five pick, and then give me the odds that he's a top 10 pick. Um, Odds that he is a... Like a percentage, like 50% chance. I'll go percentage. The odds that he is a... Top five, 70. Ozzy is top 10, 100. He's definitely going to be taken in the top. Like, and I, that's with top 10, there's no way that this, that he comes out of the top and, 10. And reason I say top five is because right now I really can't think of the other wide receivers that are, be, that are going to be coming out in that draft. And because so much happens, mm-hmm. so much changes. So I give it 70. Really, the top wide receivers right now that, and this is going off of, McShay's is the next wide receiver he had was at 13, Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. This will be a big year for Kirk. And then the other wide receiver he has is Antonio Callaway out of Florida, who just possibly could get a big quarterback we talked about earlier, now throwing to him. He's at 21 going to the Ravens. And then Cortland Sutton from SMU going to the Falcons later on. And after that, that's uh, Deion Kane from Clemson are the only wide receivers that McShay has going. So honestly, out of all those guys, Ridley probably would sit at my two. 
Callaway, I probably would put at number one. I really like him. You put him. Callaway over Ridley? I really like him. Because Todd McShay, Todd McShay is Ridley is the number one wide receiver. I, I, I find that interesting. Well, let me say this, is that they could probably probably be interchangeable, mm-hmm. but I very much like Callaway. And maybe Callaway might be someone we got to look at in a future podcast. I think you might be right there. I've, I've always liked Callaway when he's been with Florida. He's been a fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that Ridley has, and he's been <laughs> awesome. But I'm just saying, too, is i got to give love to another SEC guy, mm-hmm. um, of course. But I, I think that Ridley is so talented, he's so good, and he's going to bring a whole heck of a lot to whatever team that he's with. But hopefully he continues to bring a whole heck of a lot to the team he's currently with, Alabama. And the thing when it comes to where he could be drafted, of course he's got to have a solid season this year. But just going off of last year, just to kind of wrap all this up into a nice shiny bow before we get to Brandon's... Uh, Final thoughts, when we look at last year, we had a top five wide receiver. I would put Calvin Ridley above him. We had Corey Davis at five. Who went seventh? Mike Williams. And who went ninth? John Ross. So we had three wide receivers in the top ten, one in the top five. I think if he is a phenomenal year this year, a solid year, he could be a top five talent. In the draft, Brandon, before we move on and end the podcast, any final thoughts on Calvin Ridley and where he what he needs to do to up his draft stock? What do you the final thoughts on the comparison for Reggie Wayne just in general? I I think he just needs to continue to have another good season this year, and he is going to solidify himself as a top two. Wide receiver in the draft. Well, this is where I turn the conversation on to you guys. Let us know down below in the description. What do you guys think, Calvin Ridley? Could he be the next Reggie Wayne? And what does he need to do this season to up his draft stock? And where do you see him being drafted at the beginning of the college football season? But, Brandon, it is that time. We do it at the end of every single podcast. It is time for Swannies. Final thoughts. Well, Ricky, thank you very much, my friend. And today I want to talk a little football. And I am going to look at an organization, the New York Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. And I don't even know if they'll have any fans this season to be able to say that. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because uh, you may have already found out this news, but the Jets have just gone through another big... uh, wave of cuts and one of them uh, included Eric Decker so Eric Decker is gone Brandon Marshall is gone Uh, another guy that they just got rid of as well Um, let me see who was that that they just got rid of Uh, I can't remember who it was they had just released some oh David Harris that's who they got rid of they got rid of David Harris after 10 seasons they got rid of Nick Mangold uh, they had gotten rid of De- Brickashaw Ferguson. Darrell Rivas is gone. Antonio Cromartie is gone. The Jets that we've known for the last couple of years, they're gone. They're absolutely gone. And you now have your your best wide receiver now is turning into either Quincy Inunua or newcomer Ardarius Stewart. And Ardarius Stewart's going to be good, let me tell you. He's from Alabama. <laughs> uh, but But here's the thing is that now, who's throwing to him? Josh McCown? Christian Hackenberg? No good. Uh, or Bryce Petty? 
And we saw a little bit of what Bryce Petty could bring to the table. And he was okay sometimes, and he sucked in other times. The New York Jets, though, after a 10-6 first season under Todd Bowles, they go with a 5-11 season last year. This season, they maybe win four games. The New York Jets, I just don't have the confidence in them right now. They're old. They're old. They're long in the tooth. And when I say they're old, people are going, well, what are you talking about? They just got rid of the old guys. Well, but now who do they have? They're being anchored now by some of the old guys, and those would be Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson, and Leonard Williams. But who's going to be the guy that steps up? And the reason I want to bring this up is because I am so surprised that the Jets would make all of these moves all together in one offseason. And yes, maybe that's a good thing. This young group can grow together. I get it. I get it. But but why right now? Why not keep a couple of veterans on the offensive side? I just don't see that. Why not keep Decker? Injuries, yes, I totally understand. But... You don't have that that quarterback, I don't think. Josh McCown, yes, but are you even going to go with him? If you go with Petty, if you go with Hackenberg, you want to have a guy who's been there for a while that can maybe help out. And if you say that's Quincy and Noon, well, I'll say no, it's not. <laughs> but the Jets this year aren't trying to win. They've made that clear to me. And if you're a Jets fan... They probably made that clear to you. But if you like this, I also get it. But if you don't like it, I'm with you. Because I don't like it from an outsider perspective of a former, not Jets fan, but Brandon Marshall fan because he's on my, he was on my fantasy team. But he stunk at the towards his end of his Jets career. I followed the Jets. I saw what they did. You know, going out and, and getting Matt Forte and... Having him and, and seeing what Forte could do, a couple of good games, a lot of bad ones. Older guy, long in the tooth. The Jets, offensively, were old. They've now gone young, but they've gone inexperienced young. And I think that's a stupid move by them. So those are my final thoughts. I don't think the Jets are going to be all that great this year. They are in full-on rebuild mode. Well, and this is where I do the shameless plug of, if you're going to look right above Brandon right there, it should have popped out. Uh, Mark and I actually talked about the Jets uh, two weeks ago, and we asked, uh, will Christian Eckenberg actually make strides this year to be the starting quarterback? Can't be worse. Because it looks like he might be their starting quarterback. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know down below what do you think of Brandon's final thoughts. Jet fans, what do you guys think? But thank you guys for listening to the Primetime Podcast this week, checking it out. If you're on YouTube, it was great to see your faces again. If you're on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or Stitcher, thank you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast today. We will be back next week. Is next week, we've already started them on the onside kick. You guys are starting to see them. However, we are starting ours next week. We're going into preview mode, looking at the different Power 5 conferences, getting you guys ready for August 26th. The first day of football that we will have for the college football season. Can you season. believe it? I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait for August, late August, when we will have football again. But thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.